Hello, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. This is the podcast that um, the everyone's talking about. Uh, it was re- recently profiled in uh, New Yorker and uh-huh. um, Smart People Business Insider. Weekly. Business Insider had it. Business mm-hmm. Outsider was all mm-hmm. over it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's just we got it, that prize. We got the big prize from the Publishers Clearinghouse. <laughs> Uh, we won the McDonald's Monopoly game. We're doing. We're just you. We're bl- we're blowing up right now. Yeah, we're blowing up right now. Yeah, we're blowing up right now. <laughs> I wanted to see if you'd say yeah a third time. And um, you know, we're so glad that you're going on this journey with us. Now, does that mean that we're not going to take part in the Max Fun Drive later this month? No, we are going to we are going to do that because we still need your support in a big way. Um, but you know. It, things are changing around here. Rachel's got a big gold tooth now. She looks like the bad guy in Home Alone. And Griffin, as you all know or may know if you follow his other shows, likes to rip his clothes apart while he is recording. And that's, you know, that's a hard habit to keep uh, up without your support. Runs the tally up for sure. Hey, do you have any small wonders? I do, actually. I, I thought about making this a big wonder, but I figured I would keep it small and talk about the Zamboni driver that oh, filled in yes. for the goaltender. Unbelievable. I didn't read the story. I just saw the headlines. Uh, The Carolina Hurricanes, both their goaltenders got injured during a game uh, in February, and they had nobody else to back them up. It so happened that the Zamboni driver uh, had a history of playing goal. Um, He actually had a pretty successful hockey career, and then he needed a kidney transplant, and his career got derailed. And so he was helping the Toronto Marlies, which is an affiliate team. Right. He served as their practice goaltender. So I think they knew like, oh, he'd be able to do this. And so he came in around the third period. They had a 3-1 lead when he entered. Okay. And he stopped eight of 10 shots. And so they ended up winning 6-3. So Carolina, clearly the dominant team right. in this game. But he also, eight of 10 shots. That's, That's pretty good, man. Not bad for a man that was in his 40s and doesn't play goal. That is so good. So because I guess he played this role, he gets per NHL rules $500. And he's, <laughs> and he's allowed to keep his jersey. Oh, okay. How Very cash, thanks, right? NHL, yeah. <laughs> That's so nice of you. Uh, I'm going to say uh, the worst idea of all time podcast. Oh, that's uh, nice. The, these are our friends and co-hosts on uh, the, the Tell Death Do Us Blart show, but they have started doing a mini series, or I guess wrapped it up, because it was a mini series called My Week with Cats, where they watched the Cats movie every day for a week, and I, I just dip back into to that, and sweet, sweet God, it's still like, it still makes me laugh very hard, this show. These two boys hurt themselves with bad movies. And I enjoy hearing that happen a great deal. And it's more timely than some of their previous ventures, which were (laughs) were less focused on movies that are currently. Yes, exactly. Phenomenon. Hey, you go first this week. What do you got? Um, This actually, so um, we are recording some of these um, batched because we are about to travel. Right. And so I was kind of struggling to come up with things. And so I reached out to my good friends, one of which uh, our, our friend Grace who is um, just just a brilliant young woman, and she suggested Jupiter. The planet. Yes, the planet. She's like, Jupiter is a super cool planet. You should look into it. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's big. It's like, real you, big. You can't fucking beat it for size, right? Yeah. It's so big. Yeah. 
Do you have any stats about how big it is, hon? Oh, of course I do. Were you trying to set me up right there? Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) It is 318 times as massive as Earth. Ooh, wow, that's a that scares me to think about. If you combine all the planets, it is still two and a half times more massive. Nice try, guys. But Jupiter wins. Real big guy. It takes only 10 hours to complete a full rotation on its axis. The, what? So not only is it like super big, it's real fast it's too. It's spinning so fast. <laughs> I I think it, I didn't read this. This is why my friend Grace suggested it. She said that it like keeps our planet safe from a lot of like asteroids and meteors and stuff because it pulls so much energy towards it. Interesting. Yeah. It is not only big and fast, it is the third brightest object in the solar system after Venus and the moon. So you've probably seen Jupiter in the sky and not realized that's what you were looking at. Yeah, I hate to jump in here and disagree with science, but I think the sun is one of the brightest things in our solar system. I mean, probably, yeah. But you can't see the sun at night, can you? Yeah, that's a good point, hon. Didn't think about that. (laughs) Uh, Jupiter also has ring systems. So Saturn gets all the credit for the rings. Jupiter has them too. Yeah. They're pretty faint. Yeah. Kind of gassy, right? It's a gassy thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a gassy thing. Uh, It's like material that was ejected by moons that just kind of orbits. Moon Duke just floating around. That's gross, Jupiter. You nasty. (laughs) Speaking of moons, Jupiter has 67 confirmed moons. I thought it was like in the 70s. Did it lose a few moons? 67 confirmed moons, like as as of now. Io is one of them. Oh, I didn't write. Did you think maybe I knew all the moons? Titan, I think, is one of them. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, it has over 200 natural satellites orbiting it. So maybe Whoa. that's why. Okay, yeah. Is that like some of them are moons, some of them aren't. I don't, do I know what makes something a moon? I don't. No, but the rest of them, I think we can agree, is just space trash. It is spinning so rapidly that it is flattened out a little bit at its, its poles and bulging at the equator. So it's Ooh. not like super round. It's got kind of a dummy thick planet yeah, a little thick bit. in the middle. All right, I like this. <laughs> Uh, The last time we saw Jupiter, uh, NASA's New Horizons made a flyby in 2007. So it's been a little while. Who knows what's going on up there? Yeah, a lot can change. 13 years. Gosh, I mean, what were we doing in 2007? You know, it was a different time for for all of us. Yeah, I was still in Chicago. You were still in Chicago? You were in college? I was in college, yes. Wow. I was in college. This was 2007, so this was like Mm -hmm. George Bush was president. You know what I mean? Like... Shit was wild. Pretty sure the song Drops of Jupiter had been out for a long time by then. Yeah, maybe not, actually. Who knows? That song feels immortal in a way that I really appreciate. (laughs) I think that's all I want to say about Jupiter. I just think uh, there's a lot we don't know about up there. Mm -hmm. And I've never been particularly a space person. Yeah. You know, I, I never had a desire to go into space. Um, I've never been particularly fascinated with it. Didn't realize how big Jupiter was out there. Yeah. Got me kind of interested in space more. It, it's one of the things I remember like in school talking about the scale of different or like uh, celestial bodies where like the thing was like, oh man, Earth can fit into the sun like 1.5 million times. <laughs> and like it was like something like you can fit like 13 Earths in Jupiter or something, something like that. Uh, but that doesn't seem correct. I think I just made that. Well, number. so there's, for example, so there is a red spot on Jupiter. Yeah. Um, it's butthole. 
That's what I always, every time I look up at it, I'm like, oh, yeah. Ew, Jupiter. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's gross, Jupiter. Put that away. What would you call its rings then? If, if the red spot, is it, is it like it's, um, like it's belt? Maybe? Yeah, that's its belt. Okay. Uh, so that red spot, um, can contain two or three planets the size of Earth in its diameter. So just that red spot alone. And maybe it does. We've never gotten in there. Right. But maybe a couple, maybe we used to have like 12 planets in the solar system and Jupiter ate it all up. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. There was actually, I saw online that if, um, if Jupiter were more dense, it would start pulling in on itself. Oh, then Jupiter stopped. Yeah. Jupiter, right? stop. You're good, like, as is. I love, you're our big helpful friend keeping us safe, I guess, from uh, asteroids and the like. But please calm down, because that would be bad if you yeah. if you imploded. Like, don't change a thing. Don't, don't change a thing. Don't like, slim down. No, God, no. Mm-hmm. No, don't. Just don't, stay, just, just right as you are. Right as you are is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Just maybe put that butthole away. <laughs> People are looking. We've, maybe you don't know this, because you're wicked far away, but we've invented telescopes. So we can see that nasty thing. Like, we know what you're doing up there. One day Saturn's going to be like, oh, shit, Jupiter, I think they got telescopes. And Jupiter will be like, oh, my God. This whole time. This whole time my bung's been just out. Man. (laughs) Hey, what's your first thing? My first thing is the greatest breakup song of all time. Uh, Wait, weird. That felt very familiar. I feel like we've done a song where we said, like, oh, that's the greatest breakup song of all time. Like, we've talked about, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, it's A Case of You by Joni Mitchell. Oh. Um, I don't think we've talked about Joni Mitchell on the show before. No, we've referenced her a lot, Right, because we talked about Judy Sill, and so, like, it's a pretty obvious comparison there. But uh, uh, the album Blue by Joni Mitchell is, like, front to back, one of the best albums I I think ever made. It's one of my first, like, treasured record albums that I got. Uh, and I was sort of a late latecomer to it. Uh, but this song, A Case of You, is off that album. And it is like widely regarded as one of her like greatest, you know, songwriting accomplishments. Uh, I am a uh, just a hilariously uncultured fella. Uh, and this was especially true before I like moved to Austin and... Uh, and met me. And, and met Rachel and got and turned so cool. Much better. The first time I heard this song was actually at a concert in Chicago from the Decemberists. Oh. Uh, and Colin Malloy did like a just a solo acoustic cover of it after the uh, after the encore and it was like so great i was like man this song kicks ass the decemberists at it again with another <laughs> big hit uh and then i learned it was a cover and that is like when i got super into Joni mitchell like that that year living in chicago uh because man that's good wintertime music too holy shit uh i just i i this song is so gorgeous, right? Musically speaking, we can start there. Like it is just these really rich guitars, like layers and layers of guitars and steel guitars, uh, and just like gentle sort of alt percussion tapping. Uh, and you know, Jenny Mitchell's voice just like really explores the space, uh, which is like a very Joni Mitchell thing, just like launching her pitch, like just all over. Um, if you've never heard it before, uh, I'm gonna play a little bit of it, which is like kind of t- I don't know which part to play because it's it's a very efficient song and all of it is really good. But uh, here's a little bit of a case of you. I would still be on my feet. 
so like the music is is kind of sad and lovely in uh, a really nice way. Like it's among my favorite songs of hers just because of that. Is it weird that I never really realized it's a breakup song? Uh, well, we, it's funny because I was listening to our wedding playlist on Spotify yeah. and it was on our wedding playlist, but like oh. it, it super is a, a, a breakup song. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you could interpret it as some other way. Uh, but, uh, the, the, the lyrics of this song, oh my God, like she's like, she's a brilliant lyricist and I think she's firing all cylinders on this song. There is a sort of ongoing metaphor about sort of communion in this one. Uh, the chorus obviously is you're in my blood, like holy wine tastes so bitter and so sweet. Um, this idea of love being this like visceral physical thing, like having it be embodied in that way is such a, I think, powerful way of, of, uh, writing about love. Um, and this this is like, for me, the iconic thing about Joni Mitchell is if you read it like a breakup song, which I, I th- is how I do it, uh, there is a sort of like humor to it as well. Uh, just that first verse, it paints this image of like somebody sitting at a bar by themselves, drawing a map of Canada on the back of a coaster, uh, just like in a dark bar illuminated by blue TV screen light, uh, and then just like while they're doodling like that, like absent mindedly, like drawing the face of a lost love, like that is such a like crystallized, like such a clear image, such a clear scene that she like paints like that. And uh, it's it's like the kind of thing that she is so fucking good at. Yeah. And you believe like she did or witness or happened to her. That's what's like so authentic about Joni Mitchell is that like anytime she sings anything, I'm like, oh, that must have actually happened to her. Right. And and she's actually singing about it. And she has a quote about that. Uh, She was interviewed uh, in Rolling Stone by Cameron Crowe. And uh, she was talking about Blue. um, And she said, the Blue album, there's hardly a dishonest note in the vocals. At that period of my life, I had no personal defenses. I felt like a cellophane wrapper on a pack of cigarettes. I felt like I had abs. That's a mate. Like that's an amazing little yeah, turn of phrase just, that you like, just fucking that dropped. In an interview. In it. Uh, I felt like I had absolutely no secrets from the world, and I couldn't pretend in my life to be strong or to be happy. But the advantage of it in the music is that there were no uh, defenses there either. So, like, n- not only do you have to be a a brilliant sort of, uh, you know, person, a poet to, to create stuff like this. Like you also have to be like extremely vulnerable, I think to tap into the kind of stuff that this song taps into. Uh, and I mean, then you could get into the kind of difficult conversation of like, um, you know, suffering and art and like the whole concept of thinking about this a lot lately because, um, I found it a lot easier to be artistic when I was unhappier. <laughs> sure, but on the receiving end of that, like I think it is easy to say, um, uh, I think maybe we talked about this with Nick Drake too, like this idea of just like, yeah, he suffered so much, but the art that came out, like that, that is such a like there, not there is human a way, way I, of I, thinking about it. It's not that I don't believe that there is a way to to create art from a uh, happier place. I feel like it's something that like you and your family members do all the time. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, I just, I, I respect it even more because I think it's like, it's, it's difficult to be vulnerable when you are not feeling particularly vulnerable, I guess. Yeah. Romanticizing somebody else's suffering for the art they create feels like gross to me, but like doing it for yourself is like a way of reclaiming that time, like reclaiming, uh, those like shitty feelings that you that you had when you were feeling low. Um, yeah. 
Uh, I think that that's really, I don't know, really strong. Uh, if you are not a Joni Mitchell fan, like, you know, I was not until I uh, heard the Decemberist cover her, like, this song and I feel like Blue as a whole, just, like, listen to that front to back. It is such a, like, good sampler, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, because I will say, like, she is an artist that was always kind of experimenting with her style, and so you may find some of the later albums, like, not as pleasing. Yeah. But I feel like blue is blue is um you can recommend that to anyone. Yeah. Go uh, go dig it up. Dig it up from the boneyard. That's what she calls it. <laughs> oh yeah. She calls her body of work the boneyard. So she would say like uh cellophane wrapper on cigarettes. Yeah. But come also but also come out to Joni Joni's Boneyard <laughs> and listen to my tunes, my new mixtape. She's got a g- great SoundCloud. Can I steal you away? Please. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain
Hey, I have a Jumbotron message here. This one is for Daniel, and it is from Noah, who says, Ever since our first date, you've always been my biggest wonder. I've loved getting to know you a little better every day. I'm honored that you've let me into your life, and I still get a little choked up when I remember that I got to marry you. Here's to many more snuggles with the dog, yummy drinks at Epcot, and a wonderful life with you. Mm, I love keeping that romance going post-wedding. Sometimes people are just like, well, I'm done. No. Seems like these two. Not not Daniel and Noah. Keeping it up. They're like, let's go get fucking faded at Epcot together <laughs> and snuggle with that pup into it. Can I read the next message? Yes. It is for Haley. It is from Dominic. Haley, I love you more than I could ever put into words. Thank you for introducing me to this show and this good, good podcast family. With luck, we are listening to this one together while snuggled up with our cat, Oatmeal. I have no idea when this is being read, and if it means anything, I bought it the day before Valentine's Day. Does that mean anything? I guess so. It's close to the love day. Yeah. That's the love day right there. That's the love day. The message came out after love day, but that doesn't matter. And I am so charmed by these, these, these lovely, loving jumbotrons. I love them too, but don't make cat oatmeal. That's inhumane. <laughs> Hi, I am Lori Kilmartin. And I'm Jackie Cation. Together, we host a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show. Uh, we're both stand up comics. We recently met each other because women weren't allowed to work together on the road or in gigs for a long, long time. And so our friendship has been unfolding on this podcast for a couple of years. Jackie constantly works the road. I write for Conan and then I work the road in between. We do a lot of stand-up comedy and so we celebrate stand-up and yes. we also bitch about it. We keep it to an hour. We don't have any guests. We somehow find enough to talk about every single week. So find us. You can subscribe to The Jackie and Lori Show at MaximumFun.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, bye. What's your second thing? I mean, you don't have to get angry and punch the microphone about it. We've talked about don't bring your rage into the studio, hon. That's where my passion comes from. I know. You know how passionate I am when I'm raging. You create so much great art when you're furiously (laughs) trashing the office. This one, I think, is going to be a fun one. Oh, boy. Mnemonic devices. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it took me a second. I thought you were talking about onomatopoeia. Po- That's not how it's said, is it? Onomatopoeia. It's spelled that way, but I, people say onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia. Why can't I say that word? Get rid of the O. Onomatopoeia. There okay. you go. Sorry. <laughs> um, mnemonic devices are uh, devices used for aiding memory. Um, and they come in all sorts of forms, which I didn't really think about. I'm more familiar with the with the initials, you yes. know? Yes. Um, but there's all these different memory tricks that are considered demonic devices. Ooh, um, I think you may have just said demonic devices a little bit, <laughs> which that's cool. What's that mean? You can find it in Jenny Mitchell's Boneyard. Yeah. Uh, mnemonic devices are actually, I didn't realize it goes back to philosophers, which surprised me a little bit. Like to me, it just seems like a like a hack, you know, yeah. something you'd find on BuzzFeed. Yeah. But it's like something that, like Plato and Aristotle were like all up on. I believe it was um, Aristotle who invented my very energetic mother just served us nine pizzas. Right. See, that's the thing about doing Jupiter is I was like, oh, this fits it's right in. in there. Uh, there's this story about a poet named uh, Simonides in fifth century BC, who is kind of credited as being one of the first ones to like 
come up with a mnemonic device, but this is a more of a visual thing. So initially when mnemonic devices were kind of put together, it was a way to create a visual picture in your head and then use that to remember something. Okay. So the story with him is that he was performing at a banquet hall. He left, the banquet hall was destroyed in like an act of like violence. And then they couldn't identify the people that were killed during the destruction. And he was able to remember using a visual picture. This is a horrific origin story. Yes. For this. Yes. Um, That is not like my very energetic mother just served us nine pizzas. No. No. This is an idea that by using locations and um, pictures in your head, you're able to remember things. Okay. Um, It was only later. So go forward until um, like the 15th century (laughs) when people started saying, hey, let's use letters of the alphabet. Yeah. Um, and people that could do this were often viewed as like sorcerers, <laughs> <laughs> which was a problem. So there was a German poet named Conrad Celtus or Celtus. Uh, he used letters of the alphabet for associations rather than players. Um, he um, kind of took off with this idea. And then later in that century, there was a, um, a man named Petrus de Ravenna who brought such astonishment in Italy through these mnemonic vices that he was believed to be a necromancer. This is, guys? So people would demonstrate this thing, like, hey, I've created this vice, ask me these questions, let me show you I can do it. And then everyone's like, you are evil. Okay, so it's just their incredible memory recall is why they thought they were a sorcerer, not the fact that they could create, like, look at, a list of objects and then combine the first letters of all the object names and then come up no, with a mnemonic device. No, it was like a demonstration device. of it. That's so wild. Why is that sorcery? In 16th century, Lambert Schneckel, who taught mnemonics to people in France, Italy, and Germany, um, demonstrated his ability and was denounced as a sorcerer. Okay. All right. Um, I guess. <laughs> so here are some of the other mnemonics. Um, so the first letter thing is the one... That a lot of us know. Yes. Um, there's also the idea of like music mnemonics, like the ABCs. Like you create a song yeah, and it I helps so. people remember the alphabet. By the way, I had Henry sing it to me this morning in the car. He wanted songs. And so he wanted a number song. So I did a number song. And he's like, I'll do a letter song. I was like, good. And it was so fucking dope. Does he still do? He does A, up to B, G? C, D, F, and G. And then he was like, Spider-Man, <laughs> go on vacation, get on boat, one horse open sleigh. That's incredible. It's a really good song. Um, and then I mean, he doesn't know his letters. No, so like, no he does Yeah, he's three, though. Right. We've got time. Uh, there are a lot of mnemonics with um, letters and uh, that I just, I never knew before. Like, to, for all the Great Lakes, people learn homes. Yeah, yeah. Did you know this? I feel like I never had to learn the Great yeah, Lakes. Yeah, Huron, Ontario, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan, mm-hmm. Erie, and... S- oh, man. Do I, uh, oh, my God. 
Superior. Superior. Yeah. Yeah. It's embarrassing. I don't think I ever had to learn the Great Lakes. Yeah. Uh, Roy G. Biv. Roy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, so there are a lot for math. Oh, yeah. Do you remember Please Excuse My, my Dear Aunt dear Sally? Sally? Yeah. Do you remember Foil? Uh, when you oh, were doing like a- outside, inside, last? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there are some for foreign languages that I thought you would like. Ooh. So apparently to remember command verbs- in the U slash two form in Spanish, people say Vin Diesel has 10 weapons. <laughs> I don't know enough about Spanish to like know what all those stand Vin for. Vin Diesel has 10 weapons? Mm-hmm. I mean, and not only is it a good mnemonic device, it's true. It's definitely true. At least 10. At least 10 weapons mm-hmm. on him at all times. Uh, in music... The the lines of the staff, every good boy oh, does it's fine. fine. Yeah. And then uh, in between that is face. Uh, when I was taking piano classes last year and starting from like basically the beginning, it would be so embarrassing. But like my teacher would point at a note on a scale and be like, what's that? And I'd be like, all cars eat gas. Oh, well, that's a G right there. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that's for piano. Uh, well, that's the bass clef. The bass clef has oh, a different okay. set of things. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fun, babe. I don't like that they were thought of as sorcerers, but it is a kind of magical power if you think about I, it. I find it so useful. I like, um, I have a really bad memory. Mm. It, it's always been really bad. Like I remember in fifth grade, we had to memorize all the presidents and I just couldn't do it. Mm. And I would watch all these kids get up there because the teacher had a lot of time to kill and had each person get up and recite all of them in front of us for like a week. And I just watched everybody do it, and then I got up there and I just stalled out, man. I remember there was a game show. I don't remember what it was called because I think there were a few game shows like this where, uh, for a million dollars, a contestant would be challenged to do something like impossible, and they would give them a month or so to like prepare. Oh. And one of the episodes was uh, doing like the first uh, hundred digits of pi. And they were they brought the person into the studio, gave them that challenge, sent them away for a month, and then like the rest of the episode just kind of focused on what they had to do to memorize the first hundred digits of pi, mm-hmm. uh, and like the number of mnemonic devices that they came up with was like wild because they essentially tried <laughs> to boil it down to like thirty mnemonic devices. Like, okay, that's the birthday, that's the last four digits of your secure like wow. social security number. That's the uh, yeah, it's wow. and then you need to like nest them because you have to have mnemonic devices to remember the order of the mnemonic devices. Like it was, it was really wild. There are a lot of spelling ones too, like I before E except after C. Yeah, that's a good. One. Um, anyway, I can't remember all of them, but it, I just I think it's it's uh, TMNT, super cool. TMNT, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's how you remember that. Well, see, now you're just getting into acronym territory. You know? But I would sometimes I'll mess it up, you know? I'll be like, oh, those teenage turtles, ninjas, ninjas? Mutants. Mutants, turtles. Uh, hey, my second thing is a bit abstract, and I apologize. And you you may recoil at it at first thought, but I promise I'm going to keep it loosey-goosey in a place that you will feel comfortable playing. Okay. okay. All right. I want to talk about the sort of shire aesthetic. I like the aesthetic of that shire. <laughs> 
And I know you have. Were you inspired about from the week that we talked about um, my lady of the bracelets? A little bit. I was inspired (laughs) by that. uh, And I was inspired by uh, a news article that I read uh, about something wonderful that I will get to at the end of this segment. Uh, I guess I'm talking specifically about Hobbiton, which is the sort of focal point of the the Shire as seen in the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. And I'm not going to talk about the whole of the Lord of the Rings because that's, there's a lot, hey, there's a lot don't. to unpack there. Please don't. Um, but whenever I would watch those movies, which, uh, I used to do very regularly after they came out, uh, I would always just like adore the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring, the first one, um, because it spends a lot of time in Hobbiton in the Shire. And it's just such a like, chill ass vibe it is such a good vibe that i like looking at and thinking about a lot is it uh, now you know that i'm pretty unfamiliar right but i picture a lot of moss there's a great deal of moss yeah Uh, if you've never like read the books or seen the movies, the sort of thing you have to keep in mind, and this informed like uh, a lot of fantasy sort of staple ideas moving forward, uh, is that a lot of Lord of the Rings like races other than like the the humans all sort of lived among nature in a way that like fused this idea of civilization and nature, right? So the dwarves all lived like in the mountains in these mines that they would carve out down to the heart of the mountain or the elves like lived among the trees and the hobbits sort of did that idea, but just like in the plains, like just in grassland, just among sort of like empty, vast hills uh, and that is how you get this this aesthetic. And like the most sort of iconic thing about it are the like burrow houses that they build into the hills with like big circular wooden doors and windows coming out of them. Uh, where just, you know, you look at the hill from a different direction and the house is completely invisible to you. Uh, and then you go inside and it's just like nice and warm, like and like nice wood floors and rafters above and it's just all just so nice and rustic as fuck in there. I like that you like vibe. Cozy. I like it cozy. And on on the outsides of the houses, you get just like flowers all over gardens, these little wicker fences. <laughs> uh, I just I, I I've always I like a loamy roof, right? I think that's the the uh, real life interpretation of the aesthetic that I dig. Like whenever you see a, uh, this is not common in the states. I feel like this yeah, is I'm more a sort of like what you're referencing right now. I'm talking about like deep cabin, like deep uh, rustic, like oh. Norwegian sort of vibe of like actual like dirt roof with grass on it, like actual, like you are growing some actual sort of flora up on the top of your, on the top of your cabin. That vibe just really does it for me. I like that a lot, whether it's in fantasy or, you know, do you like, uh, do you like David the gnome? I love David the gnome. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a different vibe though. Like now you're talking, they lived in a tree, right? I think they lived in a tree. Gummy bears, you live in a tree. That's fine. But that's just like one thing. <laughs> I always liked like this idea of just like living in the hills, like living in just like, ch- and then you get like the shit they were doing in there. Don't get me wrong. The hobbits were uh, a, a deeply prejudiced uh, uh, folks with lots of, lots of sort of problems amongst themselves, but they were just kind of fucking chilling in these little mm-hmm. hill houses that you would go inside and they'd be like, hey, come on inside. Look at all this dope food we have. Do you want to smoke? Do you want me to smoke you out? 
because you're a wizard. I want to smoke out with this wizard in my hill house that has a circular door. Like, how do you not get down with that? No, I'm into it. I'm actually surprised that there haven't been more like Harry Potter style Universal Studio opportunities. Well, did I just set you up for your you? You did. Thing? You set me up real, real nice. Uh, uh, I was going to talk about like the inspiration for it, but like Tolkien grew up uh, most of his life in England. And so just like English countryside shit. He lived in this village called uh, Serhole, uh in Birmingham that was just like wide open like plains and and uh, they had, it had a corn mill on the river, which is also like a, a part of the geography in, in Hobbiton. But in like my vision of what it looks like didn't come from the books, which I think I read after the I saw the movies. It comes from the movies. Uh, and like building Hobbiton was like this huge undertaking. They built it on an actual working like sheep farm uh, and like obviously had to excavate a bunch of shit and uh, do all this stuff. But they shot all of this in New Zealand on North Island. Um, and they didn't tear it down like when the when they were done oh. filming. So Hobbiton is still there. Oh, man. And you can get a ticket. And go visit it and go chill there and go to the Green Dragon Inn and get yourself a food and some drink. You can, they do like events there. The winter solstice is uh, coming up, I think in June. And they have like a special event planned around that. And that is very good to me. Maybe we should do this for your 40th birthday. I never have been in the like, I know there's lots of people who feel this way. Like I I really like those movies, but I was never one of those like, it is my life's dream to fly to New Zealand and go on the helicopter tour of like all of, there's the mountain that they climbed up on and did, did, did all this. Like that's never been my jam. But like the thought that, this thing exists on our planet it makes me feel pretty good yeah it makes me feel true. real nice and again it's not limited just to like this lord of the rings thing i'm talking about the aesthetic from what i understand the um uh the studio ghibli like park in tokyo is also all about sort of like this hidden little zone in yeah. amongst like the mossy rocks and shit like ooh, ooh, that's good for me it's mm, very good that's good for me Thank you. Thank you, Moss. I guess shout out, shout out to Moss, too. Like, Right? Like, none of this would be possible without Moss. Moss is doing a great job. You don't want it on um, your roof unintentionally, I think. It's supposed to be pretty bad. Collects a lot of moisture and then just kind of, like, keeps it there. Not great for the roof's <laughs> integrity unless uh-huh. it's intentional. And it's like, oh, that Moss isn't eating my roof. It is the roof. And it's just frame of, ref- frame of mind, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know? And no, I, I, I could talk about Moss for hours. Good, because... Here we go. Lock in. (laughs) Uh, Hey, can I tell you what our friends at home are talking about? Yes. I want to talk about Sean, who uh, uh, sent us an email and also made a video showing us the... Uh, the message in a bottle that they have made oh, yeah. for us of you, you saying, saying hot tub, hot tub. <laughs> it's yeah. It's you don't. There's not an umlaut on it. You just kind of like. I don't know why I said take it that it, way. Hot tub. Uh, I love it so much. And Sean has built an actual bottle that uh, whenever I open it up, I get to hear that little. Clip yeah, we'll and have it makes to go me pick very that happy. Up. Thank you, Sean. It's going to be in our PO box this mm-hmm. week. I think so. Let's keep an eye out for it. Um, and Marlo says, I love cooking spaghetti squash. It looks just like a regular squash when you cut it open. And it looks like regular squash after you've roasted it. But then you drag a fork through its insides and it falls apart into strands just like spaghetti. It is the most satisfying thing I've ever cooked. 
I think we had some of that. We made it once. We got very excited about spaghetti squash because we like saw it in a video. And I think we were looking for sort of more side dishes. It's really to have. easy to make. It's really easy to make, but we didn't do a very good job of it, if memory serves. So I think that I think just the recipe we used was bad, but it, the texture of it beats ass. Yeah, I and, remember it tasting good. Yeah. Uh, we'll give another shot, spaghetti yeah. squash. Thank you, Marlo, for the inspiration. And thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. And uh, thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. Yeah, thank you, Maximum Fun, for hosting our show and so many great shows that are funny and topical and, you know, make you laugh, make you cry. Make you cry? Yeah, maybe. 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 We don't know. I've uh, heard some people like that uh, Adventure Zone show. Oh, yeah. I guess I get a little weepy we, we over little, it. We put a little bit of that cry juice on that. <laughs> uh, and hey, if you really like Max Fun, you'll have your chance to support it and support us here in a couple weeks when we have the Max Fun Drive, which we're going to talk all about when it runs uh, for, for a couple weeks. Uh, but we're going to have all kinds of cool stuff going for you. We're going to have a bonus episode for you for, for new members. Uh, uh, and it's just a lot more. We'll, we'll be back to talk about that later. Uh, I think that's it. Um, and you got to go back to work now. You do. Rachel's yeah. Snuck this home was, this was a nooner. Break. Is that what? Is that what you said? Hold on. <laughs> That's what I put on my calendar. Should That's, I not have What did you that? tell your boss that you were doing? I put on the calendar, nooner, at home. Babe. Oh. That's a doing it thing. <laughs> well. I've got to go. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.